from the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season six of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for wine enthusiasts around the world. Featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley and beyond. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey everybody, it is the last episode of season six today and boy do we have a doozy coming for you today. Lots of firsts. Well, first is the last last episode of the sixth season, so that's the first first. This is the last episode that Shay will be joining us and so that's a sad thing, but we'll talk about that later. And then we have Wynne and her dad, Harry, with us today. So this is the first father-daughter duo that we have had on the show and it's the Harry Peterson Nedry. And this is the first time that I have had a co-host and who's already making noise and he's gonna get kicked under the table here shortly. We have the ever annoying but highly lovable Andy Lytle with us. And apparently he never comes to the show without win. So yep, we're starting correct. to kind of wonder. We're a bonded pair. Yeah, if he's been adopted. We have to be adopted together. Adopted or they're, you know, I don't know. Look somewhere else. Then over here for the uh, adoption. That wasn't your fault? <laughs> it's a little <laughs> like, it's like that blindside thing. It's not a full adoption, you know, that just happened to those people. It's, <laughs> it's kind of that it was an agreement. And so they're my conservators. And so I always have to hang out with Wynn because if I need money, I have to just get it from her. because She's my conservator. God. And my son needs fashion tips from somewhere. So, <laughs> yes. That- and we have decided that Andy is has been dressed like a toddler most of the day with his rubber boots and well, if and, anybody knows me they know that i only wear black t-shirts and jeans that's mm-hmm. the only thing that i wear it's like the simon cal of the oregon wine yeah. country yeah but you've got white shorts on today yeah and so that's why people don't recognize me i think that's why i think heidi almost forgot to introduce me at the beginning of this because if i'm not wearing blue jeans and just have my shorts on but for all the listeners out there, if you can just imagine seeing me this morning in the vineyard with a t-shirt, shorts, and a pair of boots on, Pam, who's in the hallway, my employee, literally my came out and said, huh, you must have looked like a toddler. I was kind of offended. Yeah, you'll get over it. Yeah. Yes, you'll get over it. Okay. Now that Andy has told us all of his fashion tips for the day, we're going to get actually into the show with Harry and Wynn. So, Andy's not going to be a part of this? No, Andy will be a part of this. He's just going to be a silent partner over here to the side until he can't stand himself. I'll get reintroduced again later. (laughs) Yes. So this is going to be a great conversation between the four of us. Harry, your name has come up so many times with so many people. That's a lot of syllables. Yes. So, so, so many. But uh, it was finally time to have you on the show. And then it was just super awesome to actually bring Wynn back in. Had to twist her arm a little bit, but she begrudgingly, she came in last today. I she love it wine. here. This is my third time here. It is. I can't you, say like an, no. You're like an old pro. Yeah. Oh, you were going to say no just because I was going to be here? Maybe. <laughs> I've heard all your jokes before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Harry, let's start from the beginning. How did this whole wine journey with you begin? Drinking heavily. <laughs> And uh, then doing something about it. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's that's really not a bad that's way. That's my to... version of AA. <laughs> <laughs> Open up a winery. It'll cure you forever. <laughs> I mean, if you don't stop drinking ever, then you don't ever have to stop drinking. Oh, Ad- gosh. Ad- There's advice a tautology the there. Yes. Okay. But seriously, how did everything with the winery start and your love for wine? Believe it or not, it came from novels and literature and things like that where they were always drinking wine and I had no idea what it was all about. I grew up in uh, uh, tea, iced tea, southern sweet tea territory where we just didn't drink. And the first alcohol that ever crossed my lips besides isopropyl or methanol or something. Methanol, I'm big on that because that'll kill me one day. Um, the first alcohol was a can of beer when I was a senior in college. So that's that's a late bloomer. (laughs) No joke, but I made up for it since. Nice work. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was fascinated by what do people see in a bottle of wine? And I found out pretty soon that it was both what I love to do on the scientific side I'm a chemist by education. It was also the literature and the right side 
kind of hedonistic side of things that drew me also. It was also the fact that it was agriculturally based. You're basically creating in wine, you're creating a very refined product out of an agricultural product. So raw materials, grow it on a farm, then you do things to it and magically it's something that's venerated. It also had the aspect of, this sounds sappy and it is, of immortality to it because what we put into a bottle of wine and then keel over dead, that bottle of wine will last many years beyond what we have lasted. Uh, some of the wines that we, we've made and actually some of the labels that we have go towards appreciating the ageability of wine and what it can tell you later, not just today when you want to drink some alcohol. It's all about finesse and complexity and elegance long term. I'm clearly going to have to slow down my consumption rate because at this rate, nobody will remember me in like six months because <laughs> all my wine will be consumed. So that's good. It's very philosophical. It's very deep. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize. No. <laughs> so you, you grew up in the South. What part of the South? Eastern seaboard, uh, North Carolina, on the coast of North Carolina. So was there wine over there? I mean, like things that was it available? Gro grown and produced you, and you, made you into wine? Um, there have been some wines made, but when you make it not out of Pinot Noir and Cabernet and Chardonnay and Riesling, but out of Scuppernong, they aren't great wines. Scuppernong? Is it? Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to even remotely. That's the second word today he said that I don't know what it means. Uh, yeah, I know. We're learning all kinds Only of things. Only a second? <laughs> it's usually more than that for me. <laughs> so what kind of grape? Sorry again. Yeah. What kind of grape is that? Scuppernong is... Uh, is a not a Vitis vinifera, but a Vitis labrusca variety. So it's the foxy lady sort of. Uh, it's the really aromatic, really sweet Concord. Wine. Concord oh. is a brother or sister. Got it. Yeah. So is it? Could it technically be like a table wine as well, or like a table grape? Table grape. It could be sure. Uh, sure. You can make jelly out of it and stuff. I think. Uh, yeah, it's okay. the jelly side that's probably most important. Got it. Um, well, it's not very important, period. So there we go. It Oops. just had a great name. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, yeah. <laughs> okay. I have to jump in here. Isn't this when you've told me before that dad's favorite color is that powder blue from North Carolina? And that's why yep. it shows up on damn near every bottle of wine that you guys have ever made. And is that the influence, the North Carolina influence? Carolina blue. Hey. Yeah. Go heels. Chapel Hill. Well, we got that out of the way. Yes. Nice, nice work. No, you never get that out of the way. <laughs> I'm a sleuth like that. You are, you are like Nancy Drew. <laughs> uh, God, I got been called a chicken Andy and Nancy Drew, Drew today. <laughs> My name is Andrew. And you're a sleuth? Is that one of the Hardy Boys? Andy Drew. Nancy yep. Drew. Yep. And Nancy can, Drew's we... brother. Uh, the Hardy Boys. Is that One Direction? Is that the same thing? No. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. And we're moving on. Okay, Harry. Scuppernong in South Carolina, chemistry. North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, my God. Big difference. Holy moly. One side of the border versus the yeah, other side. Yeah, I've of the not border. been to North Carolina, so maybe that's why I'm stuck in the South. I don't know. Okay, so how did. You're never stuck if you're in the South. I still have a lot of allegiance there, even though it's been 50 some years since I lived there. I call my home the Wyoming Valley. But. Uh, I still have to bow down every now and then. Your roots are in the South. That's is there is there a, a reason that you're not allowed to go back to North Carolina? You want to be, <laughs> talk about that today? Yeah, it's a little bit like Colonel Parker and me. We just plain couldn't uh, couldn't leave the country and come back. <laughs> Got it. Okay, how did you get to Oregon? How did we go from what you started with in North Carolina over? to the Willamette Valley, and why did you come here? <laughs> why did you come here? Yeah. Okay. I usually answer that the first part of that question with Trailways Bus, 
<laughs> and one-way ticket. That's how I got here. But not really. I graduated from the university with a degree in chemistry, but I also had uh, an underlying appreciation of humanities and stuff, even though I have been accused of not being humane. And so I got a degree in English. So the first thing was to let's use the chemistry and earn some money. And so I went to the Midwest, to Cleveland, Ohio, City of Light, City of Magic, Burn On, Big River, Burn On. Play your Randy Newman. It's major leagues. Yeah. I am Name Your Tune or whatever that show was with that song, like within the first beat. I got it. Good. Yep. Good. Yep. I know exactly what movie that is. My first year in Cleveland was the year the Cuyahoga River burned. The effluent that was on the surface of that river that runs right through Cleveland caught fire and singed the undersides of bridges and things like that. What a that. crazy thing. Oh, it was, I think it was indicative of what we were all tolerating back in the late 60s and early 70s out here in Oregon as well as back there. Two years, I left there saying, hey, this has been kind of cool, but I want to write the great American novel. So I took my English degree half and I found I was either going to go to the Canary Islands or to go to the Pacific Northwest, hold myself away in a, in a mountain cabin. It's probably easier to do that in the Northwest than it would be on an island, but that's probably the reason I chose the Northwest. I did write for months and months. I did run out of money. I did go back to work. That brought me to Portland. And uh, from there, I was there during a period. It was like 73, 74 when the first Oregon wines were beginning to be released. And it was intriguing. I, in Cleveland, since I had excess money, obviously, I began to try wines and understand what the magic was and started collecting a little bit. I met Wynn's mother in Portland because she liked wine too. And she lived a block and a half from me and we caught the bus together as she was going downtown working for Merrill Lynch and I was going elsewhere beyond to uh, work for a company that made high-tech uh, components for aircraft engines and things like that. So it was fortuitous. We found each other and eventually had uh, Wynn and her older brother, Ian. At the same time, we started building a cellar and then saying, hey, why don't we just go ahead and make the stuff too? Which is what a lot of fools say. Uh, we just haven't admitted our foolishness yet. We're still waiting for the novel, too. Oh, yeah. Whatever happened to your novel? I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to take a drink of water. It must have been really good. <laughs> <laughs> it actually was pretty good. but uh, And it's it's still in the works. You work on it still? I'm sorry. Did you say something? <laughs> So when did the foolishness of making your own wine turn into something more than that? We began looking for a parcel of land to grow grapes on in the northern Willamette Valley in 1979. And later that year, we sent one or two people who knew the wine business a little bit and had done grape growing and had found some parcels for other people. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the guys uh, had actually owned part of Bethel Heights Vineyard before Bethel Heights, before it was sold to the Castile Webb Dudleys. So he went out and middle of the summer, June, July, while we were elsewhere, he discovered a piece of property that he said, hey, you might want to come look at this. It looks pretty good. Dickie Rath's original vineyard is visible from here in the Shehalem Mountains. It's right here on Ribbon Ridge. 
come take a look. So uh, we hit it back here and went and drilled some soil sample, augered holes, took the opportunity to bring my first Siberian Husky puppy out and let him look at the area, including uh, the pet chicken at the new neighbors. And the pet chicken loved to run and he loved to chase and the chicken didn't run after a while. And so the first thing that I did with his neighbor who wasn't home at the time, besides look over at the play equipment that showed that they had a young child, probably about the same age as our first child, uh, who was three at the time. So I imagine this chicken was probably her pet. So I wrote this note that I had to leave on the door saying, sorry, but uh, we became friends later. And that actually is where our current tasting cottage on our Ridgecrest Vineyards is. He hasn't yet said that the chicken died. Is it coming? This no. is like the novel. No, he said, is, he said it's not, not running to. anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's now paraplegic. These are the kind of things that I had to decipher for myself when I was young. <laughs> well, we didn't want to tell her that we had to kill a chicken during the year that she was born. Traumatizing for every yeah. child. I thought the dog did it. We, yeah, dog did, but dog was an extension of me, I have to admit. There we go. I've never looked at you like a Siberian Husky, but I will from this point forward. Oh, it's, is your it's, tail it's, the, it's the blue <laughs> eyes in the room. Mm -hmm. it's, those are North Carolina blue eyes. Mm -hmm. yes. his, his are. Yeah. Mine are fake. Okay. Yours are fake? Contacts? No. I'm like, you're not bougie, that? that bougie. Bougie? Yeah. Black, black t-shirt and a pair of jeans? No, with, I was thinking like blue contacts. Oh, no. Like, yes. How many other vineyards up on Ribbon in 1980? There was nothing there. Uh, this was the the property that we saw there. We said, oh, let's see. It's supposed to be like this, and it's supposed to have this much soil. Hey, it meets all of those criteria. Let's get it. So we got it, and we lucked out. It was uh, it was luck. What was there? Anything else. What was, it, what was planted there before? Uh, on this specific site was originally a hazelnut orchard until the Columbus Day storm. Hazelnut orchard went from uh, vertical to horizontal, and they then pushed all of that out and put in cattle. And then after cattle, they uh, decided to just hay the property. So prior to us buying the property, it was hayland, just grass. What was and is so special about Ribbon Ridge? Um, I think it's all in the taste of the pudding. We didn't know there was anything special until we made some wines out of it. And people who came after us made some wines out of it. And they, they had commonality. They also had a seriousness to them. Dark fruit, like dusty blackberries on a country road characteristics. They made the best wines ever made in Oregon, right? That's what everybody says. Well, the first, first wines they ever make from anywhere. So naivete was what brought us to the place. And it also forced us to make some wines experimentally. And then from that point on for a few years to sell the fruit to other people. We sold it to other people until we had both experience plus Wynn's mom, Judy, was a relatively well-known wine writer at the time, so didn't want to uh, rain on her parade. That all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. When you guys were um, tasting wines in Cleveland and then came back to Portland and you and Judy were tasting wines and stuff together, what was your style? What was your preference? Uh, you know, like, did you like Cabernet? Did you like Bordeaux? Did you like Italian wines? And what did you, when you saw what was going on out here in Oregon and knew that it was Pinot Noir, was that potentially something that you were already interested in? Because I'm fascinated and I think we're going to get to it. But one of the things I'm here to learn today is some of the varietals that you guys make. 
you know, nobody else makes. Gruners and some of those are just fantastic. And I'm just curious to know why you selected or what you were into and what you selected. I was into appreciating wine and I looked at a wide variety of grape varieties, but that was once again, they were discovered by serendipity. And Sarah was the guy who lived next door to me in my apartment complex in Cleveland. He was an airline pilot. He flew to Europe on a regular basis and all over. He was in the wine. He always came back with a case full of bottles that he had had a party the night before. And here were the remnants. So, Harry, you can have these. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Why wasn't I invited? But you, I didn't you gotta, say You got to question the friendship when you only get the sloppy leftovers the day <laughs> after the party. I learned enough from the leftovers, though. And so I was interested in all varieties. Red wine was where I was supposed to be focused because everybody who's really serious likes red wine. So I had some naive preconceptions. Cabernet was definitely big and uh, California was on its ascendance with small, precious vineyards and wineries there. So I appreciated and some of the first stuff that we collected was California, Cabs, Merlots, Chardonnays. We also had enough money at the time to where we bought Burgundies and also bought first and second growth Bordeaux. So we stowed those in the cellar and drank with friends who had similar palates. We liked most varieties. No preconceived notion of the, the loftiness of Pinot Noir at the time, though. Good question, Andy. Yeah, very nice. This is why we invited you. Mm -hmm. I have moments of brilliance. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. Br yes. Brilliant. Yes. Let's not get carried away here. Yes. Well, let's bring Wynn into this because yes, Wynn's please. sitting very quietly by herself over there. And I'm just wondering what, Wynn, what, what under the table stories I should bring up, if any. Oh, all of all them. All of them. Yep. All yeah. of them. Hey. This is the last time the public will ever see me, I'm sure. Do you want to talk about shithead sellers? Go ahead. <laughs> That's your story. I wasn't I wasn't really around for that. A shithead stories is an illusion. I mean, it's got a a beautiful name. Uh shithead sellers was what was scrawled on the front of uh of a fruit seller down in our basement, which is perfect temperature, is perfect place for wines it had put empty boxes in and it had some great wines there and i kept adding to it whether judy knew about it or not and when she found out about it that's when it got its name um, were you the shithead yeah uh-huh oh. <laughs> i think i got dubbed so because what mom was very pregnant with me and you kept buying cases and cases of California Bordeaux's and, or California Cabernets and Bordeaux's from whatever you ended up finding instead of. I don't even, I, I don't <laughs> even know whether that was when it was or not. Yeah, that's what she said. Oh, was it? Well, we'll have to bring her into it. Uh, <laughs> do we have time for a call? <laughs> phone a friend. Is, I was going to say, is this yeah. where phone a friend comes in? <laughs> so, okay, let's bring Wynn in as far as like when you purchased the vineyard and because you basically grown up in the vineyard. Mm -hmm. This is really like what you've known. Mm -hmm. It's not very often in Oregon that you get an actual vineyard kid that is a true second generation of what's going on. Yep. So what's your take on all this craziness going on over here with your father? So I was, what, six months old or so when That's you about guys right. signed yeah, You're born the papers? in May. If it, anybody wants to send her a birthday gift, it's May 2nd. We'll give her address later so yeah, we yeah. can just flood her with, with <laughs> gifts and cards. Okay. But yeah, about... I was six months old when they signed the papers on the land. So, you know, I don't remember that time. So pretty much everywhere, all my memories of being in the vineyard from when I have any memories of it on, we're always up there at Ridgecrest on the top of Ribbon Ridge camping, having cookouts. We always had a big Labor Day um, Sunday. fest mm -hmm. yep, where we'd cook a pig or just have a big barbecue out and everybody brought wine and camped and just just always fun memories from up there there was never a building per se that we had until 
somewhat recently when we renovated the cottage to turn it into a tasting room, but otherwise it's always just been a piece of land that we enjoy spending time on and then ends up fueling the the winery grape growing bug for 40 some years. So, did you always want Wen to be a winemaker or were you pretty open-minded as far as what she was going to grow up to be? Um what she was to grow up to be was up to her. Totally. There was always an offer to come in and do what we forced her to do one or two times when she had to label the first vintage of uh, non-commercial wine and some of the commercial wine, too. Oh, first vintage, definitely 1990, 1991, all were touched by when every single bottle. Capsules, labels, all lined up. Hey, yeah. Everything. The experience, life as it should be. Yep. Those are those miserable times as a kid as you're doing it and cussing your parents and your life and everything else. But when you look back at it now, 20 some years later, is it pleasant or are you still pissed? I didn't mind it. It was <laughs> it was maybe not what I would have chosen as a summer job, but my best friend and I would go into our basement during the summer and label wine together and just, I mean, what would, I was like a an 11 or 12 year old, what else would I be doing during the summer? Nothing. So I was at least making a little bit of money. I did get paid. That was nice. It's always no other nice, 11 nice or 12 year dad. olds get, have summer jobs, <laughs> especially not in wine. <laughs> what were you spending your money on that you would go to the store? Oh, probably Drugs, I'm sure. pickles and frosting or something weird like that. <laughs> pickles and frosting? <laughs> sounds like a pregnant drink. <laughs> I've, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. Candy, stupid stuff. It's always stupid stuff. CDs. I think CDs had just come out. Oh, those were Probably fancy. buying some music. Yes. Mm -hmm. The next evolution of the cassette tape. Yeah. Yes. I think we just talked about DVDs a few minutes ago. I still think I have cassette tapes. I don't know what you I can definitely do, with do them. too, but I can't play them anywhere. No, no. I think they're nostalgia and you can decorate with them maybe. Mm -hmm. Olivia Newton-John. Nope, sorry. Juice Newton. Wrong, wrong juice. Wrong Cocktail Newton. soundtrack. There you go. Whoa. Little Kokomo. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, I'll let you guys kind of think about those things. You want to talk about eight tracks or records? <laughs> yeah. Or 35s, 45s. <laughs> oh, my. There's been so or many. 78s. There you go. You remember 78s? Those are little ones, right? The no, 78s were the, oh, the big, big ones. ones. They went real fast. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about wine and winemaking. And actually, hold on. I take that back. Let's go back to the vineyard because we've not talked about the things that you decided to plant and why you decided to plant them. Because you, you know, you were introduced to Cabernets and Bordeaux and all these great things from France and California, but you didn't really plant any of that sort of stuff in the vineyard. So how did you go from being these big reds to what you actually decided on? The big reds were from a year or two earlier and while we were there and deciding, hey, why not do what other people here are dedicating their lives to doing? We said, okay, we can follow direction easily, unlike what Andy thinks I can do, <laughs> which is not follow direction at all. I think you get to an age where direction just doesn't mean what it used to. <laughs> and you can kind of pretty much choose your own path. But we, we took advice from the people who were here first, the Dickie Rass, the David Letts, uh, Dave Adelsheim, whole string of people, Ponzi's, and uh, looked at what they were doing and basically did the same damn thing, which is Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, wrong Chardonnay at the time because it was 108 clone. And later when new clones came in, that turned us loose for other Chardonnays, then planted Pinot Gris, planted some Gamay Noir, all of this on the original acreage. We started with 55 acres. We continually added on to it. We added some property on that we sold to other people. And at this point, we have 120 contiguous acres, of which 40 are planted to grapes, and most of them uh, fairly old, going back as far as 42, 43 years, 42 years. Did you just age when? 
41 years. The grapevines. Grapevines, you are 42 years old. It's 41. not 2024. This is 2023. Yeah. They were planted in 82. But they were they plants don't count in 81. They, it doesn't count when they're in the nursery. Oh, they don't? They aren't a plant then? <laughs> Our Let's, vineyard was planted in 1982. The first vines were. <laughs> there we go. 41. That's what we decided on. Okay. So with what you have now, you have the Pinot. Do you still have Chardonnay in the, the vineyard? But we grafted that over to Pomar clone uh, okay. Pinot Noir. I'm like, I didn't think that was anything I've ever heard either of you say. It's coming up, though. We've got our first harvest of our newly planted Chardonnay coming this year. Oh. I was just at the vines this morning I did not them know out. you had done that. What clone did you use there? We have 76 and 95. Fantastic. Yeah, those are... I want a little bit of Wenty to go in next, too, if we have another acre. So we want to plant. Goey, Wenty, gone. So what else is up there? Because you have... I mean, I you're known for recently. Gruner. Gruner? This, this yeah. is the first half of the planting, and this is the earliest. And we stopped planting during this first phase in uh, 1989, 1990, 1989. So anything that was planted after that was planted knowing that there was phylloxera in the valley. And so uh, we decided to next plant when we added onto our property a neighbor's 56 acres of grapes of uh, raw land and also woods. We added to that. It had been a pear orchard. We put there all the things that we, had we known it 20 years earlier, that we would have put into the original Ridgecrest plantings. And that is put it on rootstock, put in new clones in addition to Pomar, which does exceptionally well, but put the Dijon clones in, put everything on rootstock, so it's all on 3309. And then within the next four or five years, kind of play. And so we played with bringing in Gruner Veltliner and planting it because we liked Gruner. And even though, especially up on the top of Ribbon Ridge, it's relatively cool as the area is concerned, we thought that maybe it would still do okay. And as it turns out, with climate change advancing faster than we thought for, it's a perfect variety to go in. It requires a little more heat, but shoot, it's getting it now. And we also planted a mother block of Riesling because uh, we all love Riesling. We all being winemakers, distributors. Podcast uh, hosts. Lots of wine professionals. Host. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. Wine buyers for restaurants or retailers. They like it, but the consumer doesn't. So consumers we, are warming up to it. They that's our job have a good, is to make sure they do yeah. a good Riesling or two to convince them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, so we've kind of talked about this a little bit, and this will actually fit in great for Andy too because he makes a lot of white wine and sparkling and stuff. But the whole adage and idea that only serious wine drinkers drink red wine, I think, is bullshit. It is. Um, totally. It's just, I mean, I always had that adage and that whole idea that I wasn't serious because I really liked white wine. Red wine made me nervous and I've, you know, definitely gotten to know red wine and I enjoy it and I appreciate it. But I still, if I have the choice, A, I love, have told Wynn from the beginning, love the Riesling, love her Riesling, love your Riesling. But Riesling is definitely one of my favorites and I keep it, I hear it more and more and more on podcasts or social media or whatever that. Riesling's getting a little bit more attention, yeah. maybe a little bit more validity to the seriousness of it. So what's your take on white wine and only for non-serious drinkers? Well, I think I'm a walking Chardonnay share point. So uh, <laughs> I know for a fact that I really like Chardonnay. You know, it's interesting you say that because when I started getting into the wine business, you know, I was the same way, you know, it was Cabernet or it was Bordeaux or it was Italian wines. And in fact, before I bought the on a hot tub vineyard, the property to plant it, 
I was actually thinking about buying a piece of property up in Walla Walla because I was a red wine guy. And quite frankly, the truth be told, I didn't know much about Pinot Noir. I knew Chardonnay, really liked Chardonnay, but it was more California Chardonnay from that perspective. But so Pinot Noir had been a learning curve for me over the last, call it 15 years. And I, I understand now, I think there's an adage out there that says that you're really a wine drinker when you understand Pinot Noir. And as somebody who grows grapes, it's the most fickle and the most beautiful varietal out there. So to master Pinot Noir is to master probably the most difficult grape to grow. So I think what happened with me is there was an appreciation there of, you know, when you taste it and there's what you're tasting. And then where I fell in love here in the Willamette Valley was tasting from the different sub-AVAs. Mm -hmm. So understanding what was going on up at Ribbon or in Chehalem or in McMinnville or in Dundee versus, you know, my vineyards are all down in Eola Amity. So the stylistic differences of what's happening because of wind, because of sun, because of temperature, and then being able to watch all that evolve as we're warming up, right? Global warming's happening. It's a real thing. As a result of that, even Eola's changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. Our newest vineyard, Windfall, where it's planted, if you talk to the Castiles, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't plant a vineyard there. It'd be impossible. It'd be too cold. And Eola is that cold climate growing region. Today, we have the Van Duzer, which is this beautiful air conditioner, you know, so you have hot days and cool nights. And so it's just completely changed the dynamic of the style of Pinot Noir that's coming from the Eolamity. So long-winded way to answer your question, you know, I'm a Chardonnay freak. I'm a sparkling freak. And I have, lo and behold, become a Pinot Noir freak. And I promise you, I can't tell you, even though it's probably been in the last month or two, the last time I had a cab. Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, specifically Oregon and Willamette Valley, is, I think, a unique place for people to drink, to appreciate. And it's new because I think the world as a whole, as it seems, and I'm a novice still, likes the big reds. And they, they think that Cabernet and the California-style Chardonnay is where it's at. So it's really awesome seeing this other stuff. It's definitely a place to show your status. And maybe that's what some people are looking for. But when you really get into what your palate prefers, I think a lot of people gravitate away from that as they learn more about what wine is all about. And I also think stylistically, because we were talking about Chardonnay a minute ago, and it's exciting to hear that you guys are going to have, you know, your first Chardonnay coming off. And Chenin Blanc. And, and I'm so excited. Ooh. So that's what I was so excited to be here today because... You know, some of the varietals that you guys are doing, I'm interested in, right? And I'm, and recently in particular, I think it's a hot varietal and I think people are interested. I mean, if you haven't had Alsatian Rieslings, you've missed the whole world because they are absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, and if we're going to start making Rieslings that are, you know, not trying to copy what they do there, but of that style, then holy cow. I mean, if mm -hmm. we can do that, and quite frankly, because, you know, latitudinally where we sit, there's a good chance that, you know, that, Qualitative-wise, Riesling's going to get to that point, which is exciting. Yep. So I think what's fun is, you know, Harry, when you were at 1980 coming in, learning kind of as you went, I think every time, you know, somebody says, well, you know a lot about wine. And I'm like, I don't know anything about wine because every day you're learning. There's something new. There's, you know, it's a different, it's a clone or it's an aspect. But style is fantastic. So when you think of Chardonnay, you know, we don't make California Chardonnay in Oregon. Absolutely not. We make more Burgundy style. We make Oregon Chardonnay. That's right. We make Willamette Valley Chardonnay. That's right. We, we, we don't compare ourselves to other places. I, and I love that because I think you need to... We can we, say we aren't doing those things like yeah, they do there. I think, but. I think the definition needs to be made because, you know, I know I hear that from winemakers and people in tasting rooms all the time. They have a hard time getting people to try the Chardonnay because they don't like it. Well, they've never tried it. Right. It's a completely different style. It's a completely different flavor profiles. It's made differently. It's stylistically a lot different than what most people, quote unquote, think is Chardonnay. And so, yeah, I love the fact that it's being defined as Willamette Valley Chardonnay. I look at it like Pinot Noir. We don't make California Pinot Noir and we don't make Burgundy. We make Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. right. And I think we're getting to the point where Chardonnay in its learning curve and the, it, as it evolves as a varietal, of doing exactly the same thing. So you're gonna have California Chardonnay, you're gonna have Burgundy, you're gonna have Willamette Valley Chardonnay. And stylistically, they're all gonna be different and equally beautiful. Yep. 
So is that going to happen with Riesling, do you think, as well? Because I hear well, a lot I, of Alsatian Riesling. I, I heard Andy talk about the future, the future we've already been through. I think some of the most beautiful, age-worthy Rieslings uh, in the world come from places like Alsace, come from, of course, Germany and that hard-edged, knife-edged uh, Riesling from Germany. But equivalent to that are some of the Rieslings that have been made in the last 30 years. There's been a lot of work to collaboratively come together with both styles, ways of marketing, ways of farming, answering questions with Riesling the same as we then did earlier and still do with Chardonnay, and that we began with on Pinot Noir. Uh, things like the Pinot Noir Conference in Southern Oregon that on the Umqua that has been going since 1979 the is, steamboat. All, mm -hmm. yeah, yep. is all about understanding the variety, understanding what you do and what you don't do, and getting people together who like to argue with each other or at least like to look over each other's shoulder. Done the same thing with Chardonnay, done the same thing with Riesling over the years. And so ageability and the character and the style of all of these varieties they do have to be cultivated. We have to think about it and we have to get together. We have to put our heads together and say, what do we want this to be? What is the best? How do you achieve it? I think that's what's so beautiful about the Willamette Valley in general is the collaboration right. of all these mega minds coming together to make something that is better for the whole. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. my favorite part. A big part. Yeah. And I mean, I think without, you know, you and Adelsheim's and Ponzi's and whatever from the very beginning and figuring out how and, you know, where to plant vineyards, you know, what to do with the Pinot, what to do with the Chardonnay. So much of this is not possible without all the ingenuity and all the exploration, more or less, that you guys have done. And I don't know how proud you are of, of yourselves and if you ever give yourself a pat on the back, but gosh, I hope you do. What's the what's the phrase? Pride goeth before the fall. So if you're too proud of yourself, then you're gonna do a Prigozhin, come down with a plane. Is that three or four <laughs> words Times that we don't know? Prigozhin. No, that's the guy. Oh, that's the, the, the Russian guys. Yeah, yep. never mind. It didn't have a very good flight. I, I, you weren't putting me on, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that everybody really realizes, I mean, there's something to say about arrogancy and there's something to say about pride and being proud of what's come after you and what is still being, you know, cultivated and, and made forward. So um, hats off, kudos, however you want to say it. Thank well, you. Thank you. Actually, a big thank you because of all this beautiful wine that we're now drinking, including Riesling. I think I've on my third helping. So, Well, all of the beautiful wine is Wynn's territory. Wynn has been the winemaker 100% since 2012 for the wines that we put together from Ribbon Ridge, from our Ridgecrest Vineyards, first as head winemaker of the Shehalem project. And then when we sold that uh, to my financial partner, then uh, also uh, the two brands that she now directs, Ribbon Ridge, RR, and Ridgecrest. What's the differentiation between the two brands, other than the names? Mostly just reserve tier for the RR, the Ribbon Ridge brand. It's always kind of the cream of the crop. It's our favorite barrels from that whichever variety. We only make two wines for RR each year. It's a Riesling and a Pinot Noir. So it's a barrel selection from, for Pinot from obviously wooden barrels, but for Riesling, we have a lot of stainless steel barrels that we ferment in. Um, and so it's my favorite couple of those, nice, dry, crisp Riesling. And then everything is age-worthy and um, delicious as it can get, as complex as it can get. And then the Ridgecrest Estate brand is basically just a nice showing of everything that we grow on our land and a bottling of each of the varieties. I think we've got mm -hmm. two or three Pinots now, but a Riesling, a Gruner, a Pinot Gris, a Rosé. We're going to have Noir. Gamay. We're going to have a Chenin. We're going to have a Chardonnay. We might make an RR Chardonnay too if the 
depending on when the fruit hits a peak that we think is deserving of the reserve tier. And I think it shouldn't be lost that Chardonnay is not new to us. We've made Chardonnay from the beginning. You've made a Chardonnay every year Mm -hmm. that you've been uh, at the winery. And uh, 2009, when you got back running around the globe doing stuff, uh, (laughs) and from school, 2009 on, We've uh, we've had Chardonnays that you've been responsible for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chardonnay is not new, but it's new plantings for us. So I haven't worked with our with Ribbon Ridge Chardonnay for a number of years. So it'll be yeah. fun. Get back into it. Be something new and exciting yeah. to kind of add to your lineup. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Before I forget, because we talked about this before we really started the show, but you only use screw tops, mm-hmm. and I know. For some people, that is a hard thing to kind of grasp because they're so used to cork and cork to them means quality. Mm-hmm. Why the screw tops and why are they wrong as far as quality? Because obviously this is world-class quality as far as what we're drinking, and but you've chosen a different topping. They've chosen a different one than they should be using. <laughs> are we getting controversial here? It's only controversial if you disagree with us. Okay, and so a better way to say that is okay. screw caps are the right closure for us. Right. And for other people who think well. <laughs> <laughs> but I would agree. You know, I mem- remember when screw caps came on board years and years, 15, 20 years ago, and you know, they were taboo, right? Because they weren't cork. It is by far and away the best closure. By far. It's technical. It's consistent. It's there are no natural faults that come with a screw cap. The only way you're really going to get oxygen into your wine after you put a screw cap on is if you dent that top. And that's obviously user error. But don't you want oxygen? Because isn't that the way wines age when? If we put you in a bottle, you would continue to age even without oxygen. Should we try that? (laughs) Yeah. So wine wine is a living entity, right? Like there's nothing you can put in a bottle and not have it continue to evolve. That's not how this world works. You can put anything in a bottle and something will continue to change in there. You don't need oxygen for wine to evolve. It accelerates the process, but it's not necessary. And for delicate pinots and delicate whites, why would you want to accelerate that process? If I was making a Cabernet, you probably wouldn't be able to drink it for... 30 years if it was under screw cap that didn't have any oxygen permeability. So if I was making Cabernet, maybe I would make a different choice or put a liner in the screw cap that let some oxygen in. But but we don't know that because we haven't done experimentation yeah. with that variety. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did with Pinot Noir and with Chardonnay and with all of the white varieties that we make. Uh, And with Syrah that we made a few years ago, we bottled half of it mm -hmm. under cork and half of it under screw cap and then did a couple experimental cases of some different kinds of cork closures, some synthetic agglomerate ones. And we just tested them out to see which ones we liked more. So if I make Syrah again in the future, we kind of have an idea of what kind of closure we want for it. To add on what Wynn was saying earlier, from my perspective, making sparkling wine, Mm -hmm. perfect example, right? When we do vintage sparkling wine... You know, we seal it with a beer cap, and when it goes on tarage and lays down for a minimum three years, it's sealed. So that wine is evolving in the bottle. It's continuing to develop, and it's with that sealed closure that that wine, that sparkling wine, becomes better and better with age. Well, that wouldn't be able to happen if it needed to get air. Right? Mm-hmm. It happens in the bottle. So that's a good example, I think. Yeah, of, that's great. Hey, you the, don't want oxidation. And even those semi-permeable membranes that they, the capsule uh, maker um, gives us the opportunity to purchase should we choose to, it makes no sense because it's saying we want this to be oxidized a little. And we don't want any oxygen in on ours. We want it to last. We want it to age, but aging is, as when used the word, it's a development that happens in the bottle. It's chemical, it's uh, natural, it's physiological in the bottle. It doesn't require it be oxidized. And I think that's a good point because 
what I hear, little scuttle from people that do or don't know wine, is that if you have a screw cap, you can't lay it down for years and years on end because it'll just go bad. And that's not the case. Mm, not that's the opposite See, of the I case. I love myth busting. Mm-hmm. This is fun. Yes. Okay. You don't have to keep the screw cap wet all the time either. Like you don't have to lay your wine down on the side like you do with a cork. If you have your cork head up, those corks can dry out in no time. And then you have even more oxygen getting into your wine. So it's a very good point. Yeah. You can put a screw cap straight up all day, every day. Matter of fact, it's recommended. Yeah. There we go. Words of wisdom. Yep. From the round table of Wine Crush Podcast. It's, it's actually not a round, rectangle. It's rectangle. It is, and it'll See? it'll and it'll bust your nose if you hit it on the edge. Whoa! Yes, I, I've tried. I don't I've, have a nose to bust. I, I've tried it. Yes, it, watch it, out, it, chicken it little. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that was okay. my nickname in college. By the way, oh, chicken really? little. <laughs> oh. They called me chicken. <laughs> Nailed <laughs> <I'm not> it. Kidding. <laughs> what college did you go to? University of Arizona, Harvard of the West. <laughs> oh, yeah. Party School of the West. Is that what you said? I said Harvard of the West. Oh. Academia. Number one priority. Did we mention that the shit is just deep in here today? <laughs> well, when Harry walked in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason you were wearing boots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can I tell a quick story? Yes. So a few weeks ago, I was having dinner downtown and I swear directly to my right, Harry was sitting next to me, but I couldn't be sure and I didn't want to crank my head to the right and stare at him. So I called Wynn and said, Wynn, is your dad downtown Portland having dinner? And she says to you, me, you, you have... said it's either your dad, Wynn, or Tom Cruise, one of the two. <laughs> That's right. Which is it? That's right. It was so classic. So celebrity status, right? We're giddy like kids, had to call Wynn to make sure it could have been him. She wasn't quite sure. So I just threw out Harry and he looked over and it was him. So he didn't buy me a drink though. Harry, <laughs> I was Sorry. stepping out of the shower and I was like, why is Andy calling me? I probably should have just, I, I can track my dad's phone. I could have seen where he was. I just didn't even think about it. Threw me for a loop. <laughs> Good meal. That was about the time that they adopted me yeah. or they became my conservators. <laughs> well, I long before uh, loved your sparkler, so. Oh, Good. Let's quickly talk about the cottage and how people can actually come taste this mm. wine and enjoy the antics of Harry. Andy is not included. We could probably with, get with, him with, for a without guest Without prior approval yeah. and guest booking. I've been requested to be there on Thursdays. Tip your waiters and waitresses, please. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to have a reunion tour where he shows up once in a while. Well, we're still waiting for the pool party that he promised oh, like yeah. two years ago. That's true. You had a pool party, yeah. but I wasn't around for that one and it wasn't my birthday. So it's yeah, going to be it a Rob's pool party at Andy's or yep. it can't be up there on Ribbon Ridge at Ridgecrest blo- because we don't have any water there. <laughs> oh, well, I Our have a blo- aquifers are kind of flat gone. I have a blow up pool. So it could oh, comfortably good. fit two of us okay. if we squished. You've got a blow and- up doll, don't you, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> and I do have a husband with a water truck. So he can bring okay. the water truck up and fill the pool. Ooh, see, there you go. Yeah, there we go. I got it all situated all and right. solved. Okay, let's talk about the cottage. Yeah, our cottage, we opened, what, Memorial Day weekend? Sometime around there this Sometime year? Sometime I was gone. Yeah. Yep. We opened it a couple months ago, so we wanted to have a little... We wanted to finally have our place up on Ribbon Ridge where we could show people the beauty of the land up there, have a central location where we could host people year-round. Um, we were doing tours and tastings out of a yurt that I had built in 2018, which I had intended for, like, a little glamping spot, a place that I could stay during harvest if I had a late night. And then it ended up being used as our tasting, tasting room. Yurt. Yeah, tasting yurt for the summertime, at least, when you could access it via the road. Um, it gets a little slippery in the winter. But now we actually have a cottage that was used to be a house. We renovated it and there are no more bedrooms. And now it's got table seating for slightly more formal tasting or loungy seating. It's right in the middle of our vineyards in between um, the old block and the newer block. And yeah, beautiful Ribbon Ridge AVA. We're open by appointment mostly, but a little bit on the weekends during the summer season. So it's adorable. Yeah. Ribbonridgewinery.com. Yep. You can find a tasting there. And what about social media? Ribbon Ridge Winery hashtag for Instagram and Facebook. I think I don't know. Yeah. Ridgecrest Vineyards, if you want to see what's going on in the vineyard, 
Harry doesn't know these answers. Yeah, he's one of those people that is on social media, but he's doing most of the looking and not the, the posting. The lurking. I do some posting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's, Ev- he's under the radar. Everybody needs a lurker in their family. Yeah, you post pictures that you took in college at basketball games and things like that. That's not really hey, current. World-class <laughs> basketball, world-class photography. Let's Before we're, we're almost done, we're almost out of time, but I want to talk about Generation 3 that's coming up. Yeah. Because you got a cute little guy that I know is in the vineyard quite a bit. Is this like the next winemaker in the making? And We'll see. Um, Julian is, he'll be three. The same day that Harry turns 70-something, I'll leave that in the air. 76. Yep. Trombones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Julian and Harry share a birthday. He is- Thank you for that, by the way. Have I ever, ever thanked you for that? Uh, sorry, I didn't actually get you anything that year. <laughs> I was a little busy. <laughs> <laughs> you got plenty. That could be the best birthday present ever, honestly. Yeah. 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 Does it, the only it, thing better than that as a birthday present would be another- Another one. On your birthday? I don't think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on your birthday? <laughs> yeah, anyway, he loves being out there. He loves the outdoors. He's a busy little guy, but I'm going to do the same thing that my parents did with me and kind of have hands-off, open-door policy, but let him do what he wants to do. Right now, if that meant anything, he'd probably drive an excavator or eat plums for a living. <laughs> 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 or have aspirations to be on a soccer team. Yeah. Yeah, he just finished up or soccer. Or a song and dance guy. There's so many doors for you when you're that age. It's yeah. just fun to see actually what they do. Yeah. So, well, thank you to thank you. both of you, Wynn and Harry. Even thank you, Andy. Thank well, you, Andy. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> I was dragging my feet on that one. I didn't know if that one was going to happen or not. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> and as always, huge thank you to Daniel with South of Autumn Productions. Ooh. Big thank you and goodbye to Miss Shea. You um, haven't told us where Shay is going. Shea What's is happening? actually moving to California and moving on with her adventures in life and leaving my office and me. And we've cried several times already. And next week is going to be a big old soft oh, it's soon. It is. It's next week. Mm. So she gave me nine months notice. So you'd That's think nice. that we'd be over this by now but it's it's not it's just a finale that's childbirth you know it's been that painful so you know just so you know but I do have a great new staff and yeah Heidi's had to hire three new people to replace Shay so that gives you an idea what she was doing and honestly that's not exaggerating I I've hired two and the third one's in the works so wow um, (laughs) yes it's a big deal and it's a you know I just want to give big big shout out to you so we'll miss you (sighs) Yes, so much. Um, and then always, there's some kick-ass food sitting out on the table by our food partner, Dustin, with Biscuit and Pickles, because, well, he's just awesome Yay, as well. Dustin. So, anyhow, this is the end of season six. We are going to be raring in with season seven, the beginning of the year. We've got some really cool stuff going on. Who knows? Andy and Wynn may make another appearance. You just never know. They seem to be <laughs> a regular on every season here. But we love them. And you have to take why. a vacation every now and again. Yes, I do. I took plenty this year. So, you know, there's... Am I taking you with us? No, we could stand in. Oh, there we go. Ooh, Ooh look at Co-hosts. that. Daniel's like, no. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. It would be a little like, uh, you know, letting the inmates run the asylum. You know, we'd lock that door and we just... It would be like being the DJ. <laughs> yeah. You know, not letting people come in. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we could we could do song and dance in here. Oh, wait, but you weren't including me, were you? You were saying Andy and when. Well, now you're part of the gruesome threesome, so you oh, know we can. You gruesome? know, she said gruesome. I did. I, I'm including myself in that. Oh, you are. Yeah. You said gruesome threesome. Who's yeah. who's the non gruesome one? Well, Harry, right now. He's, I'm the newsome. Yeah, it's in, he's the yeah he'll be the newsome, and it'll be a gruesome four once we're we're done. So. I thought he had shithead winery. Shithead Sellers. Oh, Sellers. Yes. Oh, get it right. We need to get the right. Yeah, that's right. It's, a, so it, it's a brand name. Yes. And it's just, trademarked, okay? <laughs> and just for the record, that was my mom's cat growing up. His name was Shithead, and I think Asshole. <laughs> I think those were her two cats. Oh, and we... Yeah. Oh, we aren't supposed to do political stuff here, though, are we? You can you can do as whatever you want. Because you can chop this off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, anyhow, thank you. 
as always, to everybody who supports us, listens to us, and stays tuned to the very end because that's when all the good stuff happens. And uh, we'll be back in a couple months with um, a whole new set of crazy. Thank you. I did grow so up to you, look. I mean, you, yes. you look, I had, you had look mean like, girlfriends. You look like you know the the animals you're around, and the cows have gigantic nostrils. They do. Maybe that's where I got it from. Are yeah. you around chickens a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Are my eyes that close together? Ooh, Ooh a chicken joke. Uh, Ooh. I'm waking up slowly. <laughs> yeah, I don't. This, let's get this over. Quick. You got you chickens start, in your yeah. background. Don't you? warm up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 